Well, I was not expecting that last service too to be put in the category with Pastor Douglas. So that's good. That's a good people. Um, isn't it pretty cool that like, so they're doing church. They did church earlier today. Like, so Edgewater is a part of a whole wave sweeping across the globe today, lifting up the name of Jesus, right? I mean, so we're a part of a kingdom that's pretty amazing and awesome and powerful, and we're a part of it. Uh, and yet we, we experience the fullness of it here. And yet at the same time, we know that there's so much more going on outside the walls of this place. God is on the move. Um, my name is Mike. I'm uh, uh, the program director over at Shepherd's House Ministries in Bend, Oregon. And we are an alcohol drug recovery family where we believe grace changes everything. And my... Uh, my friends over there, my brothers, uh, wanted me to tell you that, uh, that they so, <laughs> they are so glad I'm here. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, as the program director, I, um, yeah, so it's, I, I, let me tell you something. I, I want to, we just want to start right now. We're going to touch on some pretty heavy stuff this morning. So I think right out of the gate, we need to be reminded of something and, and it's, if I do it, I'm like the paid vacuum cleaner salesman. I just need you to turn to the person to your right and your left and just say, hey, listen, I get it. You're doing the best you can. Just tell them that now. I get it. You're doing the best you can. You're doing the best you can. We're all doing the best we can here, right? I mean, listen, the Lord only asked us to do that. He's never, it's always about progress, not perfection with God. And he's, he's more proud of you than you could ever be of yourself. He knows you better than you'll ever know yourself. And, and he knows the hurt and the heartache that's in this room. And so uh, early on when I was preaching, I was a pastor for about 20 years, and um, I made this mistake. And I'm just going to admit that in ministry, maybe Matt can relate to this. Um, early on, I used to say things that as I look back, I need to go back and repent of. Uh, one of them I used to say and this is just me, because maybe it's still said, um, is I used to tell people, hey, so here's the thing. You just leave your stuff at the back door and just come in and let's worship Jesus. Whatever you got, just leave it at the door, come in and worship Jesus. If you did that this morning, I want you to get up, go and get it and bring it in. Okay? Nothing gets left. Nothing gets left outside of Jesus. I really believe that the kingdom is about creating a circle of compassion and making sure nobody's on the outside of it. You're in that place. And if you don't feel like you are, my hope is by the end of our time here, you feel invited to come join us because we really do believe grace changes everything. Everything. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 we get this story. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, so Lord, uh, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Father, this morning, be with our hearts right now. Because what we're going to go into next is sacred ground. 
So Holy Spirit, lead us into this. Do what you do best. Thank you for being gentle as well as honest. Thank you for knowing us better than we know ourselves. And thank you that your son Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because I believe most of us, God, don't know what we're doing most of the time. Thank you for the grace you give. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So that prayer was to get our hearts ready. Also, if you know we're talking about forgiveness, it gave you a chance to sneak out. When everyone woke up, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to talk about this this morning. So we're going to dive deep into this. So get our hearts ready. Get our minds ready as we dive. So here we go. So Jesus must have looked at the look on Peter's face when he said that. Uh, you know, seven times, um, yeah, that's a pretty good number, Peter. See, rabbinical law would say you do it at least three times. But I think Peter approaches Jesus and says, listen, I've been having to deal with these other 11 yahoos, and they just keep messing with me. They keep hurting my feelings. They don't understand me. They're making fun of me. And so I've just had enough, Jesus. I've had enough. And so how many times do I have to do this? Now, my belief is that they, G, um, Peter must have been up to six, which is why he says seven, because that's, I'm, 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 up, I'm up to here. I'm up to here. And Jesus says, okay, well, here's the thing, Peter. So we're going to do this 77 times. And if you go to the NIV margin notes, there's another translation that says 70 times seven. So if you're trying to find an out, it's only gonna get worse for you, okay? <laughs> 77 times. And the look on Peter's face must, must have been one of despair. You mean I gotta continue to be hurt day after day after day by people? I'm supposed to just live and be a doormat? And Jesus, reading those comments on his face, says, So, Peter, the kingdom of heaven, you know what we've been talking about, well, it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle the accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Which, side note, the translation of that today is probably around $6 trillion. Right? $6 trillion. Which, as another side note, who gets that kind of a loan? I don't know. Who's loaning out $6 trillion? There's a point to this. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay it back. The servant's master, or the, yeah, the, the servant's master took pity on him. That word there in the Greek is splagizomai. It's the word we use for compassion. I don't like the word pity there. I think compassion is a better word for this. Took compassion on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, about a thousand bucks. 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him. He said, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. He says, what's going on? You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Which by the way, the word mercy there is not the same word for compassion. We'll get back to that. Should have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And so Peter, this is how my heavenly father will treat everyone unless they forgive their brother or sister from their heart. Everything about the kingdom is about our hearts. Everything. There's no amount of behavior that will ever circumvent a changed heart. The idea you can fake it till you make it works until it doesn't work anymore. Right? We have to get to this spot where our hearts begin to change. But here's the thing. We've been hurt. And I'm not talking about someone cut us off on the road type of hurt. There is trauma and pain and abuse and abandonment that is in this room. There are broken hearts that sit in this place this morning. And if you're anything like me, I didn't know what to do with it. I was shown how to hide it. I was shown how to act. I was shown how to stand up, sit down, sing this, sing that, these words, those words, that stuff, this book. But what about this stuff? Um, We're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna talk about the stuff because we have to get to the heart of this if we're gonna be in the kingdom. Can we say amen to that? We're gonna get to the amen stuff here in this. So, you know, as we go back over the story, we find there's a guy that owns $6 trillion and a guy that owns a thousand bucks. And we see that something is happening here that needs to really change. This guy has been given a long credit line. It's almost as if the king never expected to get paid back. It's almost as if the king stretched out this debt for no other reason than to get eyeball to eyeball with the servant. Do you want more money? Yeah, I I just need more money. I just need one more day. Here you go. I, I, I just need one more day. Okay, here you go. Here you go. Finally, there's a settling up and the man falls down. He says, be patient with me. Be long suffering with me. And here's what happens. The king looks down and has what for him? What's the word we got here? Starts with a C. Compassion for him. Has compassion for him, looks and sees him and sees his heart and feels his heart. And he says to him, you know what? You're, what's the word here? 
You're forgiven. You're absolved. Your debt is canceled. Do you know, you can live a life where nobody owes you anything. You can live a life where nobody owes you anything. You just have to cancel all the debts. Peter was counting how many times he has to forgive. Counting how many times this person's hurt me. Counting how many times this person has wronged me. Counting how many times this person keeps doing this to me. Keeps breaking their promise because keeps not showing up keeps not paying the bill, keeps getting drunk, keeps not showing up, keeps saying that to me. And there's a compassion. You know, the, the, the story here, what we're called to as believers, believe it or not, is not to be the forgiven servant. Our calling is to be like the king. It's not about forgiving a thousand bucks. It's about being able to forgive six trillion. And I imagine there's people in this room that feel like they have six trillion hurts that they're keeping accounts on. And so Jesus speaks to this to Peter. He speaks to this to us. What do we do with this? Where do we go? So he starts to choke out this other guy. He begins to get him in a headlock, begins to really, you give this to me, give it back to me. And and the guy's like, listen, I don't have it. Throws him in jail. The servants are ruffled by this. Go and tell the king. The king comes up to him. Now, this is important to understand. The king sends him to jail where he's tortured. I I just want to make sure we all understand something here. This This is not a salvation passage, Okay. If that was the case, everybody here that's ever had a struggle with forgiveness is going to be tortured. That's not happening, okay? Just push the person next to you and say, you're going to be okay. Just push them. Let them know. You're not going to jail. You're going to be fine. But that being said, don't be fooled. God's not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. It feels like torture to carry unforgiveness in your heart. It is torturous to be locked up in a prison of your own animosity, resentment, and bitterness. It is painful to keep accounts. And so Jesus says to Peter, we got to talk about our hearts here, Peter. And that's what I want to talk about. In the past, when I've heard people teach on forgiveness... Um, it was normally in the context of how do we forgive people. And, and so it was always about you go to them, you see them. You know, there, there's always this thing about it where, you know, Jesus died on the cross for you. So the least you can do is go and forgive this person. I don't want to show a hands if you've heard that before. But I just want to tell you here, if it, it, it more than borders on heresy, Jesus did not die on the cross for you to manipulate you. There's no least you can do anything. But when I was taught about forgiveness, it was always passages that were read to me like, well, Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, as God in Christ forgave you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. But I got to tell you, 
when I get really hurt, when I get super wounded, I can, I can fake these passages, but my heart's a million miles away. So what do we do? Well, I, I want to lay some groundwork on what happens to our hearts when we find ourselves in unforgiveness. When we find ourselves struggling to let go of this pain and this hurt that's so embedded in us. And the first thing we've got to recognize is there's usually two things that are the setup. The first one is this. When I begin to feel like I have control or ownership over somebody or something, I set myself up for disappointment and bitterness. When I begin to own something. So if you take something that's mine, it's personal. You go to my house, you steal my car, that's personal. You say something to my kids, that's personal, right? Because these are my kids, my car, my church, my town, my New England Patriots. Don't even say a thing. Don't say it. <laughs> it's mine. These are my things. And if you take them from me, but listen to what Jesus says here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To, to one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back that amount. But not you. Love your enemies. Do good. And lend without expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be like sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So, be merciful just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. I, I love this passage because it tells me, as I said before, I can live a life where nobody owes me anything. You know what this also tells me? I can live a life where I have no enemies. No enemies. Do you know why that is? Because I get to choose my enemies. You know, if Chad here says, Mike, I don't like you. I'm your enemy. I'm going to say, nope. I get to choose my enemies. You're not my enemy. Try it sometimes. Someone's mad at you. Nope, I'm not going to let you be my enemy. I'm gonna, you're my friend. I get to pick my friend and I get to choose who my enemies are. If I don't want to have any enemies, and I see an enemies, if I don't have any, if I don't want to have any enemies, I just choose not to have them. So the one thing we're beginning to understand here in the Lord is that as we're talking about forgiveness, we understand first and foremost, I've got some attitudes that need to change within me. It's not mine. You see, if Chad, again, for example, stole something from me, it's not mine. If he borrowed something from me and didn't give it back, it's not mine. Who does it belong to, by the way? To who? Point, point upward, point upward. Right, opposed to him. Listen, if he takes it, he doesn't give it back. I'm like, hey, listen, it's not, it's not mine. You got to talk to him about it. 
See, what this does for me is it relieves me of judgment and allows me to live in grace. Control has my fists like this, but I have to learn over time that I don't have control. Everything is loose. My sponsor told me one time, I was talking about needing to be responsible for things. And she said, it sounds like you have a control issue. I'm like, well, I'm responsible for it. She's like, here, see this piece of paper? She tore off a little piece of paper out of a book she had. And she handed it to me. She says, I want you to write down everything that you control on that little piece of paper right there. <laughs> everything you control. That's why it's always funny to me when people say, hey, I turned my, I turned my life over to the Lord. Uh, did you have control to begin with? What we turn over is our illusion that we had any control. We're turning over the illusions and delusions that somehow I was, I was in control to begin with. God's always been in control. So the first thing is I have to understand that when I begin to control things and own things, I'm setting myself up. Secondly, I got to be careful of my expectations. Um, Again, my sponsor tells me all the time, she's, and I say all the time, at least, well, every time I talk to her, it seems like, she says, Mike, remember, expectations are premeditated resentments. That's something good to write down. Expectations are premeditated resentments. When I begin to expect things from people, like, they shouldn't do that to me. They shouldn't hurt me. They shouldn't do this. They shouldn't do that. And they do, or they let me down, or they break a promise, or what have you. So I got to be careful of my expectations. All right. Some of you here might say, Mike, I think I'm doing good with those. How will I know if unforgiveness is starting to take root in my life? How do I know this? Well, I've got, I'm glad you asked. I've got some questions. Looks like they're going to be on the screen this time. Um, so let's take a look at these signs that I might have the disease of unforgiveness. Here we go. Number one, I've become preoccupied with the event. It's become my mental chewing gum. You know, when somebody hurts me deeply, it becomes something that I think about all the time. It becomes like the ticker tape that runs on the bottom of my screen. If you're ever a sports center fanatic, you know, they got the scores going across the bottom the whole time or, you know, I don't know. So, but it, da, 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 da. so I could be doing this sermon right now to you. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, that lazy, no good. And it's just running all the time. And when I'm driving, it's all I think about. I fantasize about what it would be like if I just said the right thing to them and really stuck it to them. Anybody have these fantasies other than, don't show your hands because uh, we can only have so much prayer today. So, you know, um, you know it, it, I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about, and I just think about it over and over again. I should have said that. I would have done that. I can't believe they did that and that. Yet we might have a problem. Number two, I become a prosecuting attorney, always building my case. Oh, see, see, you did it again. See, she did it again. Yep, he didn't show up. Yep, he didn't meet my needs. Yep, he did that. Yep, I told you. Yep, yep. And we're just point, 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 point. We're building a case. Number three, I become obsessed with justice and accuracy. No, no, no. You were five minutes late. You said you'd be here at this time. You were here this time. Oh, no, no, no. I don't always do that. I don't never do that. Don't say that. Oh, no, you said this. You didn't say that. You said this. 
yeah, Houston, we might have a problem. Number four, I become unable to truly be present with others. Like I'm sitting in a room here right now and my mind is a million miles away as to what they're doing, what they're not doing. What am I gonna do? They shouldn't be doing that. You know, I hate it when they do this. And it's hard to be present. Um, I'm unable to see from another vantage point but my own. Number six, I become unable to experience real joy. Like you can't remember the last time you had a hearty laugh. Everything's stupid. Everything's stupid. No, that's not funny. I become progressively unhealthy. Number eight, I become intent on telling my side of things to anybody that will listen. Number nine, I become unable to interpret history accurately or honestly. This one's a good one, right? We remember things that have happened, but we remember them in a way that only helps support our argument as to why we're the victim. Number 10, I alienate myself from all unwilling to carry my banner. You're either for me or you're what? Against me. I thought you were my friend. Yeah, I just thought maybe we'd, no, this is what happened. I can't believe you've taken her side. Okay. Number 11, I begin to become cynical about God and everything that points to him. Don't quote scripture at me, pastor. That Rome is all things work together for good. Yeah, that might work for other. Listen, you don't know me. Hey, you need to really maybe consider joining this prayer group. Of prayer. No, no, prayer doesn't work. Worship, I'm not worshiping him. Oh, I'll come. I'll come because I know I'm gonna get the glares and the phone calls. We didn't see you last week. But here's the thing. This whole thing, it doesn't work. If it worked, this wouldn't have happened. And we just get lonelier and deeper in our hurt. So August 16th, 2013... Um, my wife moved out, left my two boys and I. Um, she had told me a month earlier that she was, she had gotten an apartment, she was going to leave. Um, I didn't want it to happen. Um, And I remember coming home. I took the boys with me. And I came back the next day and she left and she took stuff off the walls. She didn't just leave. She took our home with her. And the look on my kids' face, the pain that I felt, 
I was so angry. How could she do this? How could she do this to us? And my emotions swung from rage to self-loathing. I must be just a terrible human being. I ruined this whole thing. And I could have those swings go within a 20-minute span of time. And as that happened, this resentment, this bitterness really took a hold of my heart. But the problem is, see, I was a pastor at the time. So you gotta, you know, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Preach great sermons. Stood up at church that following Sunday and had to stand up in front of my congregation and say, my wife moved out. So mad, so mad, and so hurt. And it began to wreck me as a human being. I, uh, I don't know what to do. It's not like, I mean, I got a master's degree in the Bible. I mean, the Bible must fix this, right? Nope. No amount of verses was going to take the place of my heart needing to change, to get healed. So what I want to share with you from here on out is um, what I learned I had to do. And I say it from a humble place. I say it from, I'm just speaking for me. But I, I had I had to get my heart right. Because I found myself, not literally, but fantasizing about choking people. Yeah. Yeah. So first one is this. The first thing I ran across was this verse that someone shared with me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He told me as he shared this verse, he said, Mike, guess what? That invitation's for you. I don't want it. I don't want to be weary and heavy laden. He's like, yeah, I know. But do you want rest? Yeah. So to do that, the first thing that comes up is that, and this is the first word in this process, the word is weary. Here's the thing about unforgiveness. It will exhaust you. It's exhausting waking up with sitting. It feels like an elephant sitting on your chest when you wake up. You can't eat. I, I, I must have lost 20 pounds. Let me tell you something. Divorce is a tremendous weight loss program. What are you even trying? I didn't sleep. I couldn't eat. Um. I, I just, I, she bought a, I'll, I'll show you. So, so um, she bought a Subaru, which I don't know if you know this, but in Bend, there is a lot of Subarus. 
and she had a blue Subaru. There are a lot of blue Subarus in Bend. And, but I memorized her license plate number. So whenever I drove and I saw a blue Subaru, what do you think I did? Is that her? I pull into a grocery store and I drive through the parking lot to find out if there was a blue Subaru in there before I went inside. I was terrified of my emotions. I was terrified of my feelings. I didn't know what to do. And every time I saw that blue Subaru, let alone see her at a sporting event with my kids, I felt so much shame and anger. It was just, it was killing me. Let alone what it was doing to my relationships, to my kids, it was killing me. There comes a point in your life, friend, where you just... You're $6 trillion into this thing now. You may not pull this out on your own. I need some help. You know, the word for unforgiveness in the Greek means to tie something to your back and not let it go. I had the ropes of revenge, resentment, and remembering strapping the pain to my back. And what I found with forgiveness, forgiveness isn't about erasing what happened. Forgiveness was about, it's, it's more than an eraser, it's a set of scissors. And the scissors cut the strings of resentment that tie me to the pain. Do you hear what I just said there? Forgiveness act as scissors that help cut each resentment that ties me to the pain. There was no way that I would forgive and just forget the whole thing. That's not reality. But I had to cut one at a time. The weariness of carrying this was killing me. And I can't live like this anymore. So the second word we have here is the word repentance. Now, repentance is a pretty churchy word. I was taught for years that repentance means that if I'm sinning, if I'm going away from God, right? If I'm going away from God, repentance is to turn away from sin and come back to God. I think it's the opposite. What I found in my life was turning away from sin, I can do in my strength. Going to God has to be with my trust. Do you understand what I just said there? Repentance is primarily about trusting in the promises of God more than it is about the self-will not to sin anymore. Let me say that again. Repentance is primarily about trusting in the promises of God more so than the self-will, the human will to not sin anymore. Repentance is saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And friends, here's the deal. Your pain is the most precious thing you have in your life. Your hurt is the most precious. So for me, early on, giving it over to God, or what's the Bible say, cast your cares upon him? Oh, I'd cast it. And then I'd reel it back in. Reel it back in. It's more of a, I almost have to wrap my marriage up and the pain of it like a child. And I have to hand it to him. 
I find just this act alone, having my hands out like this, represents what it means to receive the promise and to give the stuff to him. When life starts to feel like this, I got a problem. So loosely holding on to this life I have and the expectations and the control is where I get to just hand it to him. So that's repentance as we talk about it here. I think the other thing about repentance we need to make sure of is that we're not saying that when we give ourselves to God that we're legitimizing bad behavior. I want everyone to hear me say that this morning, okay? I'm not saying that this legitimizes it whatsoever. There are bad things that happen and people can do some pretty horrific things to people. What I'm coming to learn is that hurting people hurt hurting people. And I thought for the longest time, if I were to give this to God, somehow I'm telling him this is okay. He's not saying it's okay. It hurts. It hurts to get left. Whether you're a spouse or a kid or an employee, it, it, it hurts to be rejected. It hurts to be left. But being hurt is a part of the human experience. And you can't avoid it. Which leads me to the, the next one, which is humility. We've got weariness, repentance. Then there's a humility. See, I used to think that because I'm the victim, so to speak, I want to put that in quotes here. I'm the victim and she's the perpetrator. Somehow that gives me uh, uh, like a higher ground than her, right? I'm the victim, so that gives me the right to do whatever I want. I'm hurt, so I can say what I want. I'm hurt, so I can do whatever I want. I'm hurt. I can do that, and I can do this. Here's the thing, friends. Humility tells us that we are all in this together at the same level. If I was her, and I went through what she's been through in her life and experienced what she'd experienced, I would have done the same thing she did. I'm not legitimizing it. But she did for her what she felt was right. Now I know for some of us, we might be like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got book, chapter, and verse on that, Mike. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Listen. She's human just like you and just like me. And didn't we just say to one another, we're all doing the what we can, the best we can. And the last one here we have is the word acceptance. I begin to accept that this is what it is. Most of the pain in my life when it came to unforgiveness had to do with resisting what really was. You can just write this down. The pain is in the resistance. The more I resist what really is, the more painful life will be. So I had to learn to accept now, this acceptance prayer is pretty funny. I, um, 
I was at a 12-step group, and this old guy said, I, I was sharing with him what was going on in my life at the time. He said, hey, Mike, I've got a prayer for that. I'm like, I'm all ears. Give me a prayer. Love it. He's like, okay, here's the deal. Just close your eyes, repeat after me. He said, dear God, dear God, I pray that blank gets everything she deserves. And when he said that, I was like, thank you, Jesus. I pray that she gets everything she deserves. And I opened my eyes. I thought that was it. We're done. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Close, close your eyes. Okay. And God, you get to decide what that is. I don't have to be a judge anymore. I could just be. I can live and let live. And so once our hearts begin to accept this, you see, we don't, we don't need to go to Jesus and say, is it just seven times? We realize we live in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something we do. Forgiveness is a way of life. As we live amongst one another and we realize that God's doing for us that we can, what we can never do for ourselves. And the grace that he's shown me is the same grace he's showing you. And yeah, there's going to be times where people are going to do some rough stuff and they're going to hurt us. But acceptance allows me to not be just angry. Anger is an emotion. It's not a bad emotion. It's an emotion. But it's not my only emotion now. Now I can do what I was terrified to do early on. I can grieve. Now I stand up here today and I don't want to say, and so life is ha happily ever after. There are days that I'm doing really good with this, and there are days that I get a text or something happens. Arr. All right. I mean, sometimes I still see a blue Subaru and I pucker up once in a while, you know? But God's so good. He loves me as I am. He knows everything about this. Same with you. So, Father, this morning, I just want to thank you. You know our hearts. Lord, it'd be really simple to um, put a bow on this and, and we all lived happily ever after. Lord, this is a wrestling match. Something we have to deal with on a regular basis. And so I would ask this morning... You'd give our hearts a lot of grace. Help us to be gentle with ourselves as we work through this stuff. Remind us that you have us right where you want us to be. That, uh, that you love us. That your grace is enough. And Lord, help us with the days where it's harder than others. Help us to lean into a friend or a family member we trust. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the body of Christ that we be connected. We can be connected in this place. So we can be known for who we are and we can be known for who we're not. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.